0: Welcome to the podcast, The Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Logan campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. I don't know about you, but what a powerful passage that we're going to look at this morning that Melise read out the message version. The title of a message this morning is simply this. Bold Statements... And big calls. So I don't know about you, but, but, but I reckon we all find it easy times to make bold statements and big calls, but living up to them is, can be quite a different challenge. And let me prove it to you with three words. New Year's resolutions. Yeah? <laughs> Yeah, you know, It's really easy to make a, a bold statement. It's really easy to make a big call, but then we've got to somewhere along the line begin to try and live with and live out the, the bold statement and the big call that we, meet, that we made. I remember when I was 18 years old, I was 18 years old, and I remember standing right next to Niagara Falls. And I'm standing right next to Niagara Falls on the Canadian side, and and I remember being amazed at the sheer volume of water that was cascading over the side of the waterfall. But what I hadn't prepared myself for was the volume that came with it, the volume of the noise smashing against the water at the bottom of the, the Niagara Falls. Can you imagine for a moment, Stretching a tightrope from from one side, from the Canadian side to the American side, it's roughly around about 400 meters wide. Could you imagine spanning a tightrope across and then having the courage or the craziness enough to decide, you know what, I'm going to walk a tightrope right across. There's a guy by the name of Charles Blunden. In the, in, the, in the summer of 1859, he walked across from one side to the other on a tightrope across the Niagara Falls, 50 meters above the water. He walked across back and forth several times. He got so good at this that, that, that history records that he got a sack. And so he climbed in the sack and he shuffled his way across the tightrope. He then thought, you know what, I'm going to take it one step better. And he got on a set of stilts. I mean, I can't even stand on stilts, let alone walk on the tightrope from one side to the other and back. And then he thought, I'm going to take it another rung higher. And he got on a bicycle and he rode his bicycle across from one side to the other. Actually, it actually talks about the fact that he got so confident that he, that he managed to somehow get a little stove and walk a stove half a while long. 200 meters, right in the middle, he stopped and made an omelet and ate the omelet on a tightrope. That's kind of crazy. It's a whole nibble, next level kind of crazy. And all the crowds that gathered and heard the stories and gathered and gathered and gathered, ood and are uh, at what he'd done. He got so confident that one day he blindfolded himself and he walked across. See, he proved that he could do it. No one doubted that he could do it. And then he made a bold statement. He made this bold statement and said, Do you believe that I I could walk across with a wheelbarrow? And everyone clapped and cheered and said, Yes! And then he, then he did it. And then he turned around and he came back. And he said, now who thinks that I can do it again? And they all clapped and cheered and said, yes. And then he said, all right, so who do you think that, that someone could get in it and I could walk across with someone in it? And they all went, yes. And then he said, all right, who's going to get into it? And everyone went, Pretty much like that, except without the laughing. See, the story of Charles Blunden is a real-life picture of faith, of what faith is actually like. See, the crowd knew and saw his daring fits. They, they, They saw his abilities and saw that he could do it in a variety of different crazy ways. They all believed that he could do it, but their actions proved they weren't sure if they could do it with him. So this morning, I want to make A big, bold statement and a big call. Our faith in action has the power to change the world. So what we're doing in this series is, as so we walk through the book of James, we, we talk about this idea of faith at work. Uh, we, we, as we look through this book of James, I love it because it is so incredibly practical. See, James here is the author of the book, but he's a pastor of the Church of Jerusalem. So he's a pastor, he's an author, he's written this book, and James is a really good pastor. And he wants to shepherd his, his congregation, his people through some challenging times that they were facing. See, they were facing trials and temptations from political leaders and regimes and, and, force, and religious forces and groups who were trying to get them to do things that they didn't want to do. There was people in the community that were living in incredible poverty while others lived in abject uh, luxury. They were facing race wars. Race wars or raging discrimination have been tearing apart the communities for decades. And there's people at conflict and they're throwing hateful and hurtful words at each other left, right and center. How times haven't changed that much. And these ancient words that James writes to them is inspired by the Holy Spirit and wants to speak powerfully into our culture still today in 2021. So today we're going to look at the central theme of the book of James. We're going to look at the core value, the, the core thing, the core belief, the core conviction that James had. See, James makes a really bold statement and makes a really big call. And we find it in verse 14 through 17. Let me read it through a different version. What good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister without clothes is without clothes and daily food. If someone says to them, "Go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs," well, what good is it? In the same way, faith, by itself, if not accompanied by actions, is dead. James here makes a really bold statement, a really big call. And it seemed really controversial, and it seemed really controversial because of this. There was a guy, a significant, prominent guy in the church, and his name was the Apostle Paul. And Paul was a significant person. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He planted churches everywhere, and he was going around telling everyone that there's nothing that we can do to earn God's love. There's nothing we can do to earn God's forgiveness. There's nothing that we can do to earn ourselves into heaven. That God took the initiative and he sent his son, Jesus, to, to die to make us right. That he would pay for our sins. In fact, uh, in, 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 in one of the letters that he wrote to one of his churches in the church of Ephesus, Paul writes this and he says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, "...for it is by grace that we are saved." Through faith, it's not by works, it is a gift from God. There's a moment where he drops the mic and he walks off stage and everyone is amazed. And I don't know about you, but as I read those words today, I'm still amazed, I'm still blown away, and I'm still so incredibly grateful that we have a God like that, that that our God looks at you and he looks at me and he says, Dave, you know what, there is nothing that you can do to make me love you any more or any less. There is nothing that you can do, how great or how bad. There is nothing that we can do to make God love us any more or any less. But James now rolls in, and, and James now rolls in, and he seemingly contradicts everything that this this great man of faith, and you know the Apostle Paul. He seems to contradict everything he's been saying, and he says that that with faith without works is dead. And at the surface, it kind of seems like a contradiction. You see, see the, the predicament we find ourselves? We find ourselves stuck in this point where it's, we have the Apostle Paul saying that, that, it's, that our salvation is a, is a free gift, and it's not by works so that no man can boast. And yet, James on the other side is over here saying, you know what? Faith without actions is dead. And there's kind of this this seeming contradiction. What we've got to understand is we've got to understand the context, the time, and who each author is writing the words to. See, Paul is writing primarily to a, to a bunch of new Christ followers and new churches. And he's trying to shake them out of their religiosity. See, he's trying to help them understand that for a lot of them, they were Jews. And for Jews, knowing the Torah and knowing everything about the, the, the Old Testament, being able to cite it all and, and being able to do the right things and, and being able to keep all the laws and commandments was, was, a, was a thing that they found that they prided themselves on. And Paul comes in to shake it all up, telling them that they are loved and accepted by God wasn't about their knowledge, and it wasn't about how much they knew or what they did and how many laws they managed to keep and how many commandments they managed to do. Paul came to shake it up a little bit for them, say that salvation is a free gift and it always will be a free gift from God that the price, the work was paid by Jesus on the cross. Now, James, on the other hand, on this side, James is not talking to a bunch of brand new Christians in brand new churches. He is now talking to some established Christians in established churches. And he's saying to them these words. He's saying, you know what? What I want you to do, what I want you to understand is that now it's now time to live out the faith that Jesus died for. That unless we live out our faith by our deeds, then we're not Christians at all. In a sense, what he's saying is that we're not saved by good deeds, but we're saved for good deeds. You see, James isn't saying, hey, you know what? This is not linked to your salvation. However, we are saved to do good things, to make an impact. And these are the twin truths of Christianity. And Paul and James on the surface seem to begin to con- con- contradict each other. But in actual fact, they're complementing each other. And they're complementing each other because they saw firsthand what was happening. They saw firsthand what was happening in their churches in through their lives. You see, they understood that, that our faith In action was changing the world. You see, where are we where well I was about to say where are we standing? Where are we sitting this morning? In a church. Where were they sitting that morning? What were they giving their life to build? The church which we are still a part of today. See, James knew that what we do with our hands shows what's in our hearts. See, James knew, Paul knew that what we do with our hands reveals really what's going on inside of our lives. And he wants to challenge the church. He wants you to say, you know what, it's all well and good to make bold statements and big calls. It's great to make those statements, but without actions, it's kind of pointless. So I like any good preacher, James comes up with two illustrations to back up his points. And so we find the first illustration in in verse 21. And he says this Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Now, everyone there knew who Abraham was. He was was one of the fathers of their faith, he was one of the heroes of their faith, and they knew the stories. And so they're all going, Yeah, he was. We know him. He was awesome. And, And so James here is kind of pointing to him and saying, You know what? But his actions were righteous because his faith worked out together with his actions. See, when he asked, when God asked the sacrifice of his son, he was willing to put his faith into action and he was willing to obey. You see, his faith wasn't just words, but it came with actions. See, if you know this story, if you know this story about, it seems like a terrifying story for every single parent here. and 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 it seems crazy that this kind of thing would have happened in the culture back then. But I want to say this, that it was never God's intention for Abraham to kill his son Isaac. That he always was going to provide a substitute. A ram that was caught in the thickets was a substitute to save Isaac. And this act of faith by Abraham made him right in the eyes of God and he became God's friend. See, what that was, was it was a picture of the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus, the son of God, who would give his life as a substitute for my sin, for your sin, so that we could be made right with God. See, we may write with God through the sacrifice and the generosity of Jesus. So that's the first illustration that James points out. The second one is found in verse 25. And it says this. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute. I don't even I'm allowed to say that word in church. It's in the Bible, so I'm saying it. Uh, Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. A quick uh, survey of church. Um, what was Rahab's occupation? Great, yes, there was, was, there was a lot of confusion, but it's, not, it's really not that hard. Rahab's occupation, her job day in, day out, was that she was a prostitute. You know what blows me away, Church? What blows me away is that in the, in, the, in the hall of fame of great men and women of our faith is broken, ordinary people like Rahab. Now, I don't know about you, but, but in some ways I read that and I'm like, that's just messed up and it shouldn't be in there. You know, I mean, if you wrote the Bible, would you talk about Rahab who had an interesting career as a, you know, okay, would you? No, I wouldn't. And yet God puts it in there. And James highlights it at a moment of great things going, you know, faith without actions is dead. And let me show you some great men and women of our faith and what they did with their faith and then what, how that worked out in their actions. And he highlights a woman named Raham who was a prostitute. And she was in the Hall of Fame not because of what she did but because she put her faith on the line and she gave everything she had to help God's people. Church, I love the fact that Rahab is in the Bible as is many other stories of scandalous people that probably shouldn't be in there. I love the fact that she's in there because you know what it says to me? You know what it says to a guy who tries to get it together, who often fails? I love the fact that Someone like her is in the Bible because it's such a scandal to be in there, but God wants to remind someone here this morning that God doesn't consult your past to determine your future. That no matter how broken you might feel, how unworthy you might view yourself, how many times you feel like you just can't get it together, and how could God love and use someone like me? God put someone in the Bible by the name of Rahab. And he uses her. And we count her as in the hall of fame of the great men and women of our faith. See, regardless of what she did, regardless of how, she, how unworthy she felt she was, she put her faith in Jesus. And he wanted to use her. And he used her because of her actions. See, James knew. bold statement. Big call that our faith in action has the power to change the world. But to do it, it's going to take generosity. See, in Acts chapter 2, we read a glimpse, we had a snapshot into what the, the early church, the first church was like. And it says this in Acts chapter 2, it says this, as it's describing what the church was like and how it conducted itself and what it did and what the people were like that were in it. It said this, they divided themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and gave to everyone who was in need. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. Church, who wants to be part of a church like that? <laughs> you know, who wants to be part of a church? We were seeing We're seeing God do supernatural things. We're we're being generous to those people around us in our church and in our community. And who wants to be a church where every single day we're seeing people come to know Jesus? Who wants to be in a church like that? Because I do. See, this is the hallmark of the early church. See, they realized that their faith in action had the potential to change the world. And it did. It was the defining mark of the early church. That they were generous and they had faith and they love for God and for others. This morning I want to make two bold statements and big calls of my own. First one is this. Being generous is at the center of God's heart. The next big statement, bold statement, big call, is when we're when we're generous, we're the most like God. Let me prove this to you. John three sixteen, 16. In a Bible verse that many of us know. And it goes like this. For God so loved the world that he what? That he what? That he what? His one and only son, whoever believes in him, shall not perish but have eternal life. I love that verse because it shows God's heart for us as a whole. And at the start of it, he wants us to realize that he gave. See, generosity always will be at the heart of God. See, as we see the picture of Jesus nailed to a cross, nails have been driven through the the wrist of his hands and through the ankles of his feet. He's been nailed, pierced, held up by nails really held up by love on a cross. To breathe, he's having to pull up on the nails in his wrists and push up on the nails in his ankle just to, to get air into his lungs. He's naked and he's hanging there for seven hours. Nails didn't hold him, loved him. And in John chapter 19 verse 30, it ends with this. When Jesus received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And the ultimate act of love, the ultimate act of love, Jesus. Gave himself for us. The ultimate act of generosity. He sacrificed himself for someone like me. Someone like you. So before we conclude this morning, I want to ask a question. See, every single one of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we've blown it, we've made mistakes, and every single one of us have sinned. Sin is just something where we know that it's not right. It's not what God intentioned or God designed. Sin is something that separates us from God, from a a holy and a perfect God. And yet out of His out-of-control love, He so loved because of His generous love, He sent His one and only Son to die on a cross So that we wouldn't have to get it all together to try and get ourselves right with him but because of his love he sent his son to a cross to make us right with him this morning it's a free gift it's a gift that came with an incredibly ridiculously high price but one that we don't have to pay for it's the one that jesus paid for the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So this morning I invite everybody just to close your eyes for a moment. We've still got a little way to go in the service, but I actually want to take this moment and say, you know what? Because God so loves you, we changed a service just for someone like you. And because so God so generously, radically unconditionally loves you. He brought you here this morning with one intention, to let let you know that He so loves you that He gave everything He had, His life, for you. So this morning, I want to ask a question. Romans says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord, and believe in your heart, that he raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I want to ask you the question, free gift. Do you want to say yes to Jesus this morning? We do this every Sunday. So if this morning you need to make that decision, say, yes, Jesus, I want to accept the free gift. I want to exchange my sins and my mistakes, my regrets and my junk for your forgiveness out a life for a purpose God I want to begin this journey with you with a God who so loves me and I invite you this morning just to quickly raise your hand this morning is that you do you need to make that decision here with everyone's eyes closed between you and God do you want to make that decision this morning is there someone here this morning say you know what Jesus, I want to be your son and your daughter. Thank you for your generosity. Let me pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your incredible, remarkable, unconditional love and generosity. We thank you that you offered it on a cross willingly. God, that the nails didn't hold you to cross, but love held you on the cross. The love for us. God, I pray that this will never get old. God, people coming to you will never, God, will never get old. God, we thank you that we get to do this. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we haven't quite finished, church. James was a brother of Jesus. And James saw the life and the ministry of Jesus. And he saw, saw firsthand the death of his brother Jesus hanging on a cross. He knew firsthand what Jesus gave up his life for and what he lived for and what he died for. And, and James here makes a big, bold statement, a big, bold call. He says, if we live our lives, if we put our faith in actions... He has the power to change the world but our actions need to be matched by our faith see coming back to and i'm going to close here coming back to charles blunden and his wheelchair he asked the question who wants to get in and we'll walk across the tightrope 400 meters to the other side and back and everyone went what just checking watches, probably there's no phone back then, but you know, they're just quickly just scrolling, checking if there's life-changing messages that really needed to kind of check, just, to, nope, nothing. No one said a thing. Then in the middle of a crowd, a hand shot up. In the middle of the crowd, the kind of crowd began to separate. And a little old lady began to walk slowly through the middle of the crowd with a hand raised. And she walked, she walked up to James Blunden and his, his wheelbarrow and she walked up to him and she stepped foot in the wheelbarrow and slowly by slowly James Blunden began to walk across the tightrope across Niagara Falls with a little old lady in the front and then they turned around and walked all the way back and everyone lived, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> and they got to the other side. And everyone was amazed at the, the, the faith that she had in Charles's abilities. You see, the catch was this. She didn't put her faith in Charles's abilities. She put her faith in Charles because Charles was her son. And in, in an act of faith in her son, she, walked, she sat in the wheelbarrow and they walked across the tightrope across Niagara Falls and back. See, church, our faith in action really does have the power to change the world. But we've got to put our faith in someone We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ, we would love to encourage you on your journey. Help us help you by going to gatewaybaptist.com.au and clicking on Get Connected.